decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It's good to have you with us. It is Friday, November 11th. 2022. It is Veterans Day, so I salute my brothers and sisters who served in the armed forces, and to all those who are serving now, thank you for your service. You are appreciated. And I have to let you know that it happened. Yesterday. Yesterday. At 6 a.m. yesterday morning, the Chick-fil-A in Missoula opened. And I read several news stories. I shared one on on Facebook that uh, traffic was tremendous. They had to have police officers directing traffic. Cars were backed up around the the block behind the store. You know, the, the, the store sits in front of... Um, oh, what, what shop is that in front of? Is that, uh, yeah, that would be, uh, like PetSmart and all that. And, uh, the traffic was backed around behind PetSmart and they had cops directing. They weren't allowing anybody to back up onto Brooks. You had to go around the block and line up on the other side because they didn't, or not Brooks, Reserve Street. They didn't want to block Reserve Street, so... Uh, who knows what kind of tremendous business they did. I did see a couple of liberals uh, whining that Missoula, being such a liberal town, which it is, was not boycotting the hateful Chick-fil-A, which I thought just cracked me up. I have not eaten there yet, but I have changed my Twitter bio. Previously, the closest Chick-fil-A to Squirrel Manor was 138.8 miles away up in Kalispell. Now... 49.1 49.1 miles. That's all it takes to get to Chick-fil-A. And when I started tracking it, it was over 600 miles to the closest Chick-fil-A. So Chick-fil-A has kept coming closer. I don't think it will come any closer <laughs> than Missoula. Um, there is not any sizable metro area closer than Missoula. And none of the little towns and bergs that are closer to me than Missoula are anywhere near the size that they could support a fast food chain, major or minor. Uh, for a while, we had a, a uh, subway in um, St. Regis. That was kind of nice, but that subway closed a couple of years ago during 2020. Um, the, there was the, the owner of that subway owned three or four of them. They are all gone. And they were all in along the highway in rural Montana. He had one in, in uh, Thompson Falls, um, the one here, and him. I, I'm assuming him. I, I don't know who the owner was, but I did know that they were all the single owner. And they have all been done away with. So there's no longer any fast food we want. We have to go to Missoula. And that is where the new Chick-fil-A is. So I am very excited to have a Chick-fil-A in Missoula. Mm. And all I've been thinking about is that uh, silly Tim Hawkins song, Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Yeah, it's been running through my head. All right, it is Friday, November 11th, and it is Federalist Friday. We're going to be looking at Federalist Paper number 12 today. Having done a, excuse me, I have a cough this morning. I think I might even be coming down with a sniffle. I will blame the band kids. I spent all day with the band kids on Tuesday, so we will just blame them for giving me a cold. I don't know if they did or not, but. That's the story, right? Got to blame somebody. It's never your fault. So I'm going to blame the band kids. Actually, I could, I could, I'll blame the Ronan kids because we were at their high school. So it was the Ronan kids. The high school was just contaminated, and that's why I came down with a cold. 
You silly me. Um, I can't even blame it on antihistamines. I haven't taken any this morning. All right. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are sure to find something worth listening to. So I point you in that direction proudly and with confidence. And we are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible Translation this year. Today we are completing week 45. I'm going to go ahead and check off week 45. There are now one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks left in the year. Have you got your Christmas shopping done? It's getting close. Have you thawed your turkey yet? It's getting close to time to do that, too. All right, our scripture reading today is going to be Ezekiel 43 through 45, Psalm 135, and John 15. And then, as I said, it's Federalist Friday, and we're looking at Federalist number 12. I will be using the cough button multiple times this morning, just to warn you. Just got a tickle in the back of my throat. The... Uh, there was a logging operation across the interstate from us to our west. And yesterday morning, they lit off. I mean, it's been wet. It's been snowy. This is the time of year to do it. Um, they lit off a line of slash piles to burn the slash across the highway from us. And so some of this cough, I think, is the, it was really smoky here yesterday because... They did not, let's just say these slash piles did not burn well. They smoldered and smudged and filled the eye with, filled the, the sky with smoke instead of burning hot and clean. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the way they were stacked. Um, some people know how to burn, others don't. You can see that every year when people light off their, their uh, wood stoves as winter comes in. Got a lot of smoke. They don't know what they're doing. Not a lot of smoke. They know what they're doing. And uh, without a lot of smoke, you get a better, hotter fire. You l use less fuel. If you just know how to stack it and how to, you know, how much air to give it. And if, if you don't, you end up with, you know, smoke signals instead of a good, good clean, burning fire. These were all smudge pots, and unpleasant. Um, it wasn't the it wasn't the clean, smoky smell of a campfire. It was a dirty smell. I mean, some of it had to do with the snow, but honestly, if you stack it right, you know the 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 wood isn't going to get that wet from the snow on top of it. You know, down underneath should still be dry. Now this this was slash from logging over the summer and uh, the wood may not have aged out it may have still been fairly green but anyway yesterday was unpleasant with smoke i hope today is better i hope they burnt down enough that we don't have to worry about it anymore but it has definitely added to my cough but judging from the runniness of my nose i am dealing with a cold but i will survive all right, let's begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent. According to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now the collect for great, or the, uh, the prayer for our reading of the word. 
which is the collect for the second Sunday in Advent, which I believe is just coming up in a couple of weeks here. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now Ezekiel chapter 43. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to bring the city to ruin. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Kabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of Yahweh came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of Yahweh filled the house. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house, while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. And the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their harlotry and by the corpses of their kings when they die, by putting their threshold by my threshold and their doorposts beside my doorpost, with only the wall between me and them. And they have defiled my holy name by their abominations which they have done, so I have consumed them in my anger. Now let them put away their harlotry and the corpses of their kings far from me, and I will dwell among them forever. As for you, son of man, describe the house of Yahweh to the house of Israel, that they may feel dishonor for their iniquities, and let them measure the plan. If they feel dishonor for all that they have done, make known to them the design of the house, its structure, its exits, its entrances, all its designs, all its statutes, and all its laws and write it in their sight, so that they may keep its whole design and all its statutes and do them. This is the law of the house. Within its entire boundary, on the top of the mountain all around, shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. And these are the measurements of the altar by cubits, the cubit being a cubit and a handbreadth. The base shall be a cubit and a width of a cubit, and its borders on its edge round about one span and it shall be the height of the base of the altar. And from the base on the ground to the lowest edge shall be two cubits, and the width one cubit. From the smallest ledge to the larger ledge shall be four cubits, and the width one cubit. And the altar hearth shall be four cubits, and from the altar hearth shall extend upwards four horns. Now the altar hearth shall be twelve cubits long by twelve wide, square in its four sides. The ledge shall be fourteen cubits long by fourteen wide on its four sides, and the border around it shall be half a cubit. And its base shall be a cubit round about, and its steps shall face the east. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says Lord Yahweh, These are the statutes for the altar on the day it is made, to offer burnt offerings on it and to splash blood on it. And you shall give to the Levitical priests who are from the seed of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares Lord Yahweh, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. You shall also take some of its blood and put it on the four horns, and on the four corners of the ledge, and on the border round about. Thus you shall purify it and make atonement for it. And you shall take the bull for the sin offering, and it shall be burned in the appointed place of the house outside the sanctuary. Now on the second day you shall bring near a male goat without blemish for a sin offering. And they shall purify the altar as they purified it with the bull. When you have finished purifying it, you shall present a bull from the herd without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock. And you shall bring them near before Yahweh. And the priests shall throw salt on them, and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to Yahweh. For seven days you shall offer daily a goat for a sin offering, also a bull from the herd, and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be offered. For seven days they shall make atonement for the altar, purify it, so it shall they obtain it, so shall they ordain it. So they will complete the days, and it shall be that on the eighth day and onward 
The priest shall offer on the altar your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, and I will accept you, declares Lord Yahweh. Chapter 44 Then he brought me back, by way of the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. Yahweh said to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter, enter by it, for Yahweh, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. As for the prince, he shall sit in it as prince to eat bread before Yahweh. He shall enter by way of the porch of the gate, and shall go out by the same way. Then he brought me by way of the north gate to the front of the house, and I looked, and behold... The glory of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh, and I fell on my face. Then Yahweh said to me, Son of man, set your heart on, and see with your eyes, and hear with your ears, all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of Yahweh, and concerning all its laws. And set your heart on the entrance of the house, with all exits of the sanctuary. And you shall say to the rebellious ones, to the house of Israel, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Enough of all your abominations, O house of Israel, when you brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary to profane it, even my house, when you brought near my food, the fat and the blood, so they made covenant void, this in addition to all your abominations. And you have not kept the responsibility of my holy things yourselves, but you have set foreigners as keepers of the responsibility given by me for my sanctuary. Thus says Lord Yahweh, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh, of all the foreigners who are among the sons of Israel, shall enter my sanctuary. But the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who went astray from me after their idols, shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the house, and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel, therefore I have sworn against them, declares Lord Yahweh, that they shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. And they shall not approach me to minister as a priest to me, nor approach any of my holy things to the things that are most holy, but they will bear their dishonor and their abominations which they have done. Yet I will appoint them as keepers of the responsibility for the house, of all its service, and of all that shall be done in it. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the responsibility of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to bring near to me the fat and the blood, declares Lord Yahweh. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep the responsibility given by me. And it will be that when they enter at the gate of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. The wool shall not be on them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house." Linen headdresses shall be on their heads, and linen undergarments shall be on their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything which makes them sweat. And when they go out into the inner court, into the outer court, to the people, they shall put off their garments in which they have been ministering and lay them in the holy chambers. Then they shall put on other garments, so that they will not transmit holiness to the people with their garments. Also, they shall not shave their heads. Yet they shall not let their locks grow long. They shall only trim the hair of their heads. Nor shall any of the priests drink wine when they enter the inner court. And they shall not take a widow or a divorced woman as a wife, but shall take virgins from the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow who is the widow of a priest. Moreover, they shall instruct my people about the difference between the holy and the profane, and make them know the difference between the unclean and the clean. And in a dispute they shall take their stand to judge. They shall judge it according to my judgments. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed times, and keep my Sabbaths holy. But they shall not go to a dead person to make themselves unclean. However, for father, for mother, for son, for daughter, for brother, or for a sister, who has not had a husband, they may make themselves unclean. And after he is cleansed, seven days shall be counted for him. 
And on the day that he goes into the sanctuary, into the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, he shall bring near his sin offering, declares Lord Yahweh. And it shall be with regard to an inheritance for them, that I am their inheritance. And you shall give them no possession in Israel, I am their possession. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, and every devoted thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all the first fruits of every kind and every contribution of every kind from all your contributions shall be for the priests. You shall also give to the priests the first of your dough to cause a blessing to rest on your house. The priest shall not eat any bird or beast that has died of itself or has been torn to pieces. Chapter 45 And when you divide by lot the land for inheritance, you shall offer a contribution to Yahweh a holy portion of the land. The length shall be the length of 25,000 cubits, and the width shall be 20,000. It shall be holy within all its boundary round about. Out of this there shall be for the holy place a square round about 500 by 500 cubits, and 50 cubits for its open space round about. And from this area you shall measure a length of 25,000 cubits and a width of 10,000 cubits, and it shall be the sanctuary, the holy of holies. It shall be the holy portion of the land. It shall be for the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary, who come near to minister to Yahweh. And it shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. And an area 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width shall be for the Levites, the ministers of the house, and for their possession as cities to dwell. And you shall give the city possession of an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 cubits long, alongside the contribution of the holy portion, and it shall be for the whole house of Israel. Now the prince shall have land on either side of the holy contribution and the city's possession of land, adjacent to the holy contribution and the city's possession of land, on the west side, toward the west, and on the east side, toward the east, and in length comparable to one of the portions, from the west border to the east border. This shall be his land for a possession in Israel. So my princes shall no longer mistreat my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. Thus says Lord Yahweh, Enough, you princes of Israel. Put away violence and devastation and do justice and righteousness. Stop your eviction of my people, declares Lord Yahweh. You shall have just balances, a just ephah, and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be the same quantity, so that the bath will contain a tenth of a homer, and the ephah a tenth of a homer. Their standard shall be according to the homer. And the shekel shall be twenty geras. Twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your mene. This is the contribution you shall offer. A sixth of an ephah from, ho from a homer of wheat, a sixth of an ephah from a homer of barley, and the statute for the oil, namely the bath of oil. A tenth of a bath for each core, which is ten baths or a homer, for ten baths are a homer. And one sheep from each flock of two hundred from the watering places of Israel for a grain offering, for a burnt offering, and for a peace offering, to make atonement for them, declares Lord Yahweh. All the people of the land shall give to this contribution for the prince of Israel. And it shall be the prince's part to provide the burnt offerings, the grain offering, and the drink offerings at the feast, on the new moons, and on the Sabbaths, at all the appointed times of the house of Israel. He shall provide the sin offerings, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings, to make atonement for the house of Israel. Thus says Lord Yahweh, in the first month, on the first of the month, you shall take a bull from the herd without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood from the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the house, on the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and on the posts of the gate of the inner court. And thus you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who errs or is simple-minded, so that you shall make atonement for the house. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, you shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. And on that day the prince shall provide for himself and all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. And during the seven days of the feast he shall provide as a burnt offering to Yahweh seven bulls, 
and seven rams without blemish on every day of the seven days, and a male goat daily for a sin offering. And he shall provide as a grain offering an ephah with a bull, an ephah with a ram, and a hen of oil with an ephah. On the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, at the feast, he shall provide like this, seven days for the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. Now Psalm 135. Praise Yah. Praise the name of Yahweh. Praise him, O slaves of Yahweh. You who stand in the house of Yahweh, in the courts of the house of our God, praise Yah, for Yahweh is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is lovely. For Yah has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his treasured possession. For I know that Yahweh is great, and that our Lord is greater than all gods. Whatever Yahweh pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. The one who causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He struck the firstborn of Egypt from man to beast. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, O Egypt, among Pharaoh and all his slaves. He struck many nations and slew mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to Israel, his people. O Yahweh, your name is everlasting. O Yahweh, your remembrance is from generation to generation. For Yahweh will render justice for his people and will give comfort to his slaves. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Surely there is not any breath in their mouth. Those who make them will be like them, all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless Yahweh. O house of Israel, O house of Aaron, bless Yahweh. O house of Levi, bless Yahweh. You who fear Yahweh, bless Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise Yah. And now John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another." If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because of you, but because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. 
He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law, they hated me without cause. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, excuse me once again. All right. Oh. As soon as we are done with the podcast, I will be taking some Actifed, which I have right here on my desk. My go-to cold remedy, which also does not sponsor Squirrel Chatter. Nobody sponsors Squirrel Chatter. Nobody sponsors the Chick-fil-A should sponsor Squirrel Chatter. Shouldn't they? I think so. Chick-fil-A and Herb's House Coffee, or Chick-fil-A and Montana Coffee Traders. I'll take either one. You know, now that Missoula has a Chick-fil-A, we really need a Waffle House. Yeah, That's next, right? Let's push for that. All right. Well, it is Federalist Friday. We're reading through the Federalist Papers. And this is Federalist number 12. Um, again, I'm, I have a lot to say about the election on Tuesday. And I have notes. about. I've been making notes and I've been observing and I've been reading stuff. But I'm still saving that for Monday. There are still some races, unbelievably, that are up in the air. Um, and, of course, the, we know that the Georgia Senate race, neither, neither Raphael Warnock nor Herschel Walker got 50% of the vote. So there's going to be a runoff in Georgia on December 6th. And it could be that that is what's going to decide who controls the Senate. Um, right now the Republicans have 49 seats and the Democrats have 48 seats and there's two, there's three races that haven't been decided yet. Nevada, Arizona, no, is it Nevada or New Mexico? Anyway, there's three Senate seats, the Georgia one, the Arizona one, and either Nevada or New Mexico that haven't been decided yet. And so... Um, which is kind of a shame <laughs> that uh, they can't manage to count the votes before, <laughs> before, you know, the day after. The day after Election Day, we should know who won. It should not take days and weeks to count the votes. Um, you know, I don't know how many, what, 22 million people in Florida, and they had all the precincts counted by 2 or 3 o'clock the next day. Yet... Arizona and Maricopa County is now saying it's going to be next week before we know. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a hard time trusting them. I really do. All right, but that is for next week. Right now we're reading through the Federalist Papers, and this is Federalist number 12, The Utility of the Union in Respect to Revenue. From the New York Packet, Tuesday, November 27th, 1787, Alexander Hamilton. To the people of the state of New York. 
The effects of union upon the commercial prosperity of the states have been sufficiently delineated. Its tendency to promote the interests of revenue will be the subject of our present inquiry. The prosperity of commerce is now perceived and acknowledged by all enlightened statesmen to be the most useful as well as the most productive source of national wealth, and has accordingly become a primary object of their political cares. By multiplying the means of gratification, by promoting the introduction and circulation of the precious metals, those darling objects of human avarice and enterprise, it serves to vivify and invigorate the channels of industry and to make them flow with greater activity and copiousness. The assiduous merchant, the laborious husbandman, the active mechanic, and the industrious manufacturer, all orders of men, look forward with eager anticipation, eager expectation, and glowing alacrity for this pleasing reward of their toils. The often agitated question between agriculture and commerce has, from indubitable experience, received a decision which has silenced the rivalship that once subsisted between them, and has proved, to the satisfaction of their friends, that their interests are intimately blended and interwoven. It has been found in various countries that, in proportion, as commerce has flourished, land has risen in value. And how could it have happened otherwise? Could that which procures a freer vent for the products of the earth, which furnishes new incitements to the cultivation of land, which is the most powerful instrument in increasing the quantity of money in a state, could that, in fine, which is the faithful handmaid of labor and industry, in every shape, fail to augment that article, which is the prolific parent of far the greatest part of the objects upon which they are exerted? It is astonishing that so simple a truth should ever have had an adversary, and it is one, among a multitude of proofs, how apt a spirit of ill-informed jealousy or of too great abstraction and refinement is to lead men astray from the plainest truths of reason and conviction. The ability of a country to pay taxes must always be proportioned in a great degree to the quantity of money in circulation and to the celerity with which it circulates. Commerce contributing to both these objects must of, necess of necessity render the payment of taxes easier and facilitate the requisite supplies to the treasury. The hereditary dominions of the Emperor of Germany contain a great extent of fertile, cultivated, and populous territory, a large proportion of which is situated in mild and luxuriant climates. In some parts of this territory are to be found the best gold and silver mines in Europe. And yet, from the want of the fostering influence of commerce, that monarch can boast but slender revenues. He has several times been compelled to owe obligations to the pecuniary suckers of other nations for the preservation of his essential interests, and is unable, upon the strength of his own resources, to sustain a long and continued war. But it is not in this aspect of the subject alone that union will be seen to conduce to the purpose of revenue. There are other points of view in which its influence will appear more immediate and decisive. It is evident from the state of the country, from the habits of the people, from the experience we have had on the point itself, that it is impracticable to raise any very considerable sums by direct taxation. Tax laws have in vain been multiplied. New methods to enforce the collection have in vain been tried. The public expectation has been uniformly disappointed, and the treasuries of the states have remained empty. The popular system of administration inherent in the nature of popular government, coinciding with the real scarcity of money incident to a languid and mutilated state of trade, has hitherto defeated every experiment for extensive collections, and has at length taught the different legislatures the folly of attempting them. No person acquainted with what happens in other countries will be surprised at the circumstances. In so opulent a nation as that of Britain, where direct taxes from superior wealth must be much more tolerated, and from the vigor of the government much more practicable than in America, far the greatest part of the national revenue is derived from taxes of the indirect kind, from imposts and from excises. Duties on imported articles form a large branch of this later description. In America, it is evident that we 
that we must a long time depend for the means of revenue chiefly on such duties. In most parts of it, excises must be confined within a narrow compass. The genius of the people will ill brook the inquisitiveness and peremptory spirit of excise laws. The pockets of the farmers, on the other hand, will reluctantly yield but scanty supplies in their unwelcome shape of impositions on their houses and lands, and personal property is too precarious and invisible a fund to be laid hold of in any other way than by the imperceptible agencies of tax on consumption. If these remarks have any foundation, that state of things which will best enable us to improve and extend so valuable a resource must be best adapted to our political welfare, and it cannot admit of a serious doubt that this state of things must rest on the basis of a general union. As far as this would be conducive to the interests of commerce, so far it must tend to the extension of the revenue to be drawn from that source. As far as it would contribute to rendering regulations for the collection of the duties more simply and efficaciously, so far it must serve to answer the purposes of making the same rate of duties more productive, and of putting it into the power of the government to increase the rate without prejudice or of trade. Without prejudice to trade. The relative situation of these states, the number of rivers with which they are intersected, and of bays that wash their that wash their shores, the facility of communication in every direction, the affinity of language and manners, the familiar habits of intercourse. All these are circumstances that would conspire to render an illicit trade between them a matter of little difficulty and would ensure frequent evasions of the commerce regulations of each other. The separate states or confederacies would be necessitated, necessitated by mutual jealousy to avoid the temptations to that kind of trade by the lowness of their duties. The temper of our governments, for a long time to come, would not permit those rigorous precautions by which the European nations guard the avenues into their respective countries, as well by land as by water, and which, even there, are found insufficient obstacles to the adventurous stratagems of avarice. In France, there is an army of patrols, as they are called, constantly employed to secure their fiscal regulations against the inroads of the dealers in contraband trade. Mr. Neckar... Neckar computes the number of those patrols at upwards of 20,000. This shows the immense difficulty in preventing that species of traffic where there is an inland communication and places in a strong light the disadvantages with which the collection of duties in this country would be encumbered if by disunion the states should be placed in a situation with respect to each other resembling that of France with respect to her neighbors. The arbitrary and vexatious powers with which the patrols are necessarily armed would be intolerable to a free country. If, on the contrary, there be but one government pervading all the states, there will be, as to the principal part of our commerce, but one side to guard, the Atlantic coast. Vessels arriving directly from foreign countries laden with valuable cargoes would rarely choose to hazard themselves to the complicated and critical perils which would attend attempts to unlaid prior to their coming into port. They would have to dread both the dangers of the coast and of detection, as well after as before their arrival at the places of their final destination. An ordinary degree of vigilance would be competent to the prevention of any material infraction upon the rights of the revenue. A few armed vessels, judiciously stationed at the entrances of our ports, might at a small expense be made useful sentinels of the laws, and the government having the same interest to provide against violations everywhere, the, co the cooperation of its measures in each state would have a powerful tendency to render them effectual. Here also we should preserve by union an advantage which nature holds out to us and which would be relinquished by separation. The United States lies at a great distance from Europe and at a considerable distance from all other places with which they would have extensive connections of foreign trade. The passage from them to us in a few hours or in a single night is between the coasts of France and Britain and of other neighboring nations would be impracticable. This is a prodigious security against a direct contraband with foreign countries. 
but a securitous contraband to one state through the medium of another would be both easy and safe. The difference between a direct importation from abroad and an indirect importation through the channel of a neighboring state in small parcels according to time and opportunity with the additional facilities of inland communication must be palpable to every man of discernment. It is therefore evident that one national government would be able, at much less expense, to extend the duties on imports beyond comparison, further than they would be practicable to the states separately, or to any partial confederacies. Hereto, hitherto, I believe, it may safely be asserted that these duties have not upon an average exceeded in any state 3%. In France, they are estimated to be about 15%, and in Britain they exceed this portion. There seems to be nothing to hinder their being increased at this in this country to at least treble their present amount. The single article of ardent spirits under federal regulation might be made to furnish a considerable revenue. Upon a ratio to the importation into this state, the whole quantity imported into the United States may be estimated at four millions of gallons, which, at a shilling per gallon, would produce 200,000 pounds. That article would well bear this rate of duty, and if it should tend to diminish the consumption of it, such an effect would be equally favorable to the agriculture, to the economy, to the morals, and to the health of the society. There is perhaps nothing so much a subject of national extravagance as these spirits. What will be the consequence? If we are not able to avail ourselves of the resource in question to its full extent. A nation cannot long exist without revenues. Destitute of this essential support, it must resign its independence and sink into the degrading condition of a province. This is an extremity to which no government will of choice accede. Revenue, therefore, must be had at all events. In this country, if the principal part be not drawn from commerce, it must fall with oppressive weight upon the land. It has been already intimated that excises, in their true significance, are too little in unison with the feelings of the people, to admit of great use being made of that mode of taxation. Nor indeed in the states where almost the sole employment is agriculture are the objects proper for excise sufficiently numerous to permit very ample collections in that way. Personal estate, as has been before remarked, from the difficulty in tracing it, cannot be subjected to large contributions by any other means than by taxes on consumption. In populous cities, it may be enough, the subject of conjecture, to occasion the oppression of individuals without much aggregate benefit to the state. But beyond these circles, it must, in a great measure, escape the eye and the hand of the tax-gatherers. As in the necessities of the state, nevertheless, must be satisfied in some mode or another, the defect of other resources must throw the principal weight of public burdens on the possessors of land, and as, on the other hand, the wants of the government can never obtain an adequate supply unless all the sources of revenue are open to its demands, the finances of the community under such embarrassments cannot be put into a situation consistent with its responsibility or its security. Thus, we shall not even have the consolations of a full treasury to atone for the oppression of that valuable class of citizens who are employed in the cultivation of the soil. But public and private distress will keep pace with each other in gloomy concert and unite in deploring the infatuation of those councils which led to disunion. Publius. All right, well, that's Squirrel Chatter for today, Friday, November 11th. I wish you the best of weekends. Go to church on Sunday. We'll see you again here on Monday. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Have a great weekend. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. The Arboreal Rodent Network has reached the end of our podcast day. ARN is owned and operated by Squirrel and podcasts in the public interest under the authority of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America.
Our business offices are located in the Piney Woods of Western Montana, and you can reach ARN by email at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. Our podcasts are provided free of charge for the private use of our listeners, and you are welcome and encouraged to copy and distribute these recordings, provided that you do so free of charge and do not edit the content in any way. ARN will return soon with another episode of Squirrel Chatter.